Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. My name is Scott and uh, tonight I'm joined with two fire friends. Maybe <laughs> yeah, we gotta get better. <laughs> um, two other guys. <laughs> I got Ash. Hey there. And Todd. Hello. And tonight we have uh, Dr. Nick Sparrow on. Um, he's going to be on last week for our 200th episode. Was that last week? Yeah. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Um, unfortunately, he had a uh, pretty severe um, call he had to go on, mm-hmm. which is the nature of the business we're in. Yep. So we, we have him on this week. Um, but first, news. News. So, in uh, well, on the topic of kind of what we're getting into later with uh, Dr. Nick. Uh, so, out east Saskatchewan, there's a uh, mass stabbing. Um, so it sounds like so far reports were 10 people were killed on the weekend here at the uh, James Smith Cree Nation, which is a community, uh, nearby of Weldon. Um, and it sounds like there's two individuals who were, went on a little bit of a stabbing spree. Uh, sounds like one they found, uh, deceased and they're searching for the other one. Uh, so pretty tragic. A lot of people lost their lives, a lot of families affected. Yeah. Um, and again, thinking of all the first responders, you know, it's a small community. What that response is going to look like, that is a mass casualty event. Yeah, sure. Um, and it sounds like it was kind of spread out as well. So mm-hmm. it's chaos, right? Like, well, it's one of those things, too, because they're, they're not in custody. Well, one guy's um, deceased, but they're other guys it, not in custody. It was active and not Yeah, custody. so an active, active lethal threat. It's not an active shooter, so we call it an active lethal threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were... Um, so response time is going to be different, right? You yeah. can't just roll in there. So mm-hmm. it kind of goes to that rescue task force, um, rolling for police, armor, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely, it's more and more nowadays that you're going you're gonna to need to be prepared for that. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about it in the past, you know, like we need to start thinking outside the box a little bit for this as our departments with this rescue task force mindset, right? Yeah. On how to... Uh, respond to these events more effectively and that's definitely one way to do it because these aren't big cities it's not right no it's yeah i think that's the the big key key thing to uh think about there is that this isn't like the big big events in these big big cities it's mm-hmm. more of a rural setting um which again comes back to that uh, response yeah so you, you don't have the resources to pull from like these larger uh you know cities have mm-hmm. yeah yeah, so our, our thoughts are with all the families involved and all the responders involved. Uh-huh. Right. Absolutely. Okay, without uh, further ado, I guess we're going to bring Dr. Nick on. Um, Dr. Nick Sparrow, he's, uh, we first met him when we went to the ATAC conference out in uh, Nelson, British Columbia. Uh-huh. Um, Todd had told us rumors about this crazy this crazy medical doctor, um, <laughs> ER doctor that ran, uh, ran first responder calls uh, as a... Um, uh, emergency doctor, uh, emergency response physician, yeah. emergency response physician. Um, and as far as we know, is the only one in Canada that does that mm-hmm. model. Is, I BC think it's for sure. BC for sure. We don't know the rest of the areas. Yeah. Um, so he basically has a pager on him and gets paged out just like any other um, emergency service. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's not a high-paying gig. That I'm assuming. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, it's, all a, it's a terrible society. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So <clears throat> he does it because he loves to do it. Um, and then we uh, we re-met him when we went to the RTAC conference, or mm-hmm. RTAC course, I should say. Um, uh, Todd and I and a couple others went. That's where we we did a bunch of high-fidelity sims and um, the infamous Armageddon, um, <laughs> the Armageddon <laughs> scenario. Yep. 
mass and, casualty. Yeah, mass casualty incident. Yeah. Um, and then after that, um, yeah, we've just kind of been staying in touch with him. He's yeah. uh, helped us out with some stuff, and uh, it's nice having him on every once in a while just to just talk about what it looks like in the medical field right now. So, yeah. mm-hmm. And just his passion for um, uh, pre-hospital care and providing that that care in these small rural areas as well, right? right. Um, and working with the fire departments and how important it is to have that medical training and just that relationship with your agencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. So without further ado, Dr. Nick Sparrow. Good evening. How are you? Hey, good to, good to chat. Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks. I was bummed to miss number 200. I know. Yeah. Well, those things happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> life and uh, yeah. jobs. Life, life and, and emergencies. <laughs> emergencies. <laughs> kind of what you do yeah no it's good it's good to uh good to be on the show thanks for having me yeah so i think the last time we had you on was episode 78 Mm -hmm. which was quite some time ago yeah (laughs) a year and a half two years ago Mm -hmm. it was pre-covid it was pre-covid yeah i guess that's how we measure time now (laughs) pc yeah Yeah, (laughs) pre-covid nice um, so what uh, what have you been up to other than the online stuff, which we'll talk about? Um... Yeah, I'm still uh, still working in the emergency department. I'm still out responding to nine one ones, and uh, I'm doing fire medical direction for the RDCK and sort of helping with some of their online training as well. So still kind of doing what I've been doing all the time, really. So, so the RDCK, that's the uh, Kootenays, um, which is, for those that don't know, um, that's east of where we're from. Um, and how many departments are in that district? So I think that there's about 17. It's, it's roughly like 300, like 360 firefighters, and then a smaller number of those uh, first responders. So I help sort of provide medical direction uh, and clinical governance and oversight uh, for RDCK fire. So big shout out to them if there's anyone listening. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> right on. So with um, with your clinical oversight, are you guys doing kind of the uh, the basic first responder model or do you have endorsements on top of their current uh, route? Yeah, so we, we still have just like the standard first responder um, as it's always been. And then um, we sort of have a clinical governance where a group of us look at clinical issues and calls and um, like the attack group uh, is originally from the UK, but we have like a clinical governance structure that we're able to sort of support the emergency services with and kind of deals with risk management, information, feedback, data protection, operational delivery, training standards, incident report management, audits, those kind of things. So we sort of slowly uh, look at those different parts of the fire service in behind kind of what happens on a on a monthly, quarterly, yearly basis. Hmm. It's kind of interesting. Nice. Yeah, that sounds um, yeah like you definitely keep uh, a close working uh, relationship. And um, it's kind of like what, what I always did with with. Um, Kind of, we had a, our platoon, I guess I just call it our platoon. Our platoon, we always met up on our split nights. Um, and we'd start doing all these, um, like, uh, scenario-based training events, like over a beer and, and dinner um, for credits, for course credits. Yeah. 
And um, that always gave us that, just that better clinical um, I guess savviness of keeping us fresh on, on our toes. You know, you, like somebody would uh, present one week, next week somebody else would bring a topic to present. Um, and that was before we had any real strict structure in our um, education and training. But it sounds like, so you guys provide all that structure for um, kind of those quarterly get-togethers and whatnot. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So we 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 sort of have the clinical governance, which meets quarterly, and that's where some of some of the initiatives, like the online training, has developed from. Um, and and this is by no means just something um, just sort of like RDC Gay Fire are doing. Like internationally, there's a lot of uh, fire departments with clinical governance structure in place, and it just gives you gives you kind of a a framework to look objectively from the outside at your emergency service. Um, you know, what happens if you have an incident? Where does that incident get reported to? Who reviews it? What actions taken? Um, you know, do you have a risk register? You know, like, oh, we have a railway, we have um, an airport, we have a major highway, you know, these kind of sort of risks that you have or most communities have that everyone knows about, you know, do you have a register for it and what's your action plans for it? And those kind of, those kind of things, which are um, by no means, um, you know, directive for just RDCK, but sort of international standards of, okay, these are some of the key metrics that need to be looked at. Hmm. Yeah. Very nice. A lot more than just yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people think when they think of just a, a medical director for an FR. It's a, there's a lot more going on in the background. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think I think it's going to be I think it's actually going to be the future. I know I know we've sort of talked about you know uh, in the past um, a little bit about kind of medical direction and stuff, but uh, like a lot of these sort of standards and things come out of lessons learned from different countries. And I, I know you guys came into the RTAC course, but it, it kind of goes back to, do you remember the case about Stephen Lawrence? It was a young guy from the UK who, uh, it was a racially motivated attack. He was attacked by five males in London and stabbed twice and died actually within 12 minutes of being stabbed he was stabbed above the clavicle i think on the right side and on the other side and basically hit the subclavian artery internally bled and externally bled and punctured his lung as well it's a tragic case um and there was a um because it was a racially motivated attack there was a huge investigation um and every single person that was called to that scene was investigated. And there's a big report that was written by the McPherson. I think it was a judge McPherson. I may, I may have uh, misquoted that he was a judge, but um, he investigated it and and sort of came up with some fairly, I think damning summaries about training and first aid training and treatment and saying it was wholly inadequate and the individuals it was actually police officers who got there first they were their their actual individual first aid records were pulled it was really very interesting so um with the rtac is 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 something that like some emergency providers in the uk do police um 
fire to keep updated with like some of the major things and and obviously it's tracked so um if there was a case again where you know police officers are called into court then they have a record oh yeah we did this training on this time and we covered this um and that's kind of where the clinical governance piece comes in and sort of where some of the, the background for the RTAC comes in right yeah no that's um I think that's that's pretty important you know when you start thinking about um uh, we actually had similar conversations about our fr trainings and stuff in our departments because uh, our current department we're not doing first responder um yeah we may in the future we don't quite know yet uh, but currently we're not however we still had everybody trained to the fr level as a standard yeah. right that's our minimum standard through our programs um and that still gives us the ability to provide that level of care if needed on our accident scenes, et cetera, right. whatever we, we may fall upon. Mm-hmm. And at the time, similar conversation with guys, you say, well, we're not doing medical responses. Why do I need this? But, you know, there's still that overlap of motor vehicle inc- incidents. What if there's a delay in uh, EHS resources mm-hmm. uh, prior to you um, uh, dealing with this patient, on whether it's a car crash, fire. Uh, fire, pulling somebody out, or one of our own members, right? Structure collapse, anything. That... Yeah, numerous things. So everybody needs to needs to have that standard. Um, yeah. And then once they realize, okay, they understand why, you know, it's, uh, I guess it's a bit more receptive. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, definitely. And I, th- and I think, you know, the, the, the kind of interesting bit is it's all great until someone uh tries to sue you and then everyone gets taken to town and you Mm -hmm. get subpoenaed for you know to court and um and it happens you know like as you know i respond as a physician in the field and you know i've been subpoenaed to court a couple of times and have been subpoenaed in the past as well and it, it it's just really really important that things are documented well but also that you have proof of like your training so for, yeah. for me as a 911 physician, you know, we have to do uh, quarterly critical skills. So you have to get someone in, I have to do you know, a couple of hours of training, intubate a couple of mannequins, go through um, either massive hemorrhage and an airway, or I'm going through kind of respiration, um, head injury and others, and I'm sort of mixing it up every three months. Nice. Um, yeah, and it, it, it just kind of, it's it's really the big the big calls or the major incidents where things really get looked into sharply and that's where sort of sometimes the holes are found like with the mcpherson report and you know the the big mass shootings or the mass murders that first responders or emergency services are involved with they often further down the road and it's usually three four years down the road you're being called in and um, getting looked at and it, it goes back to the documentation and for example if you went to a big incident that was a major incident you know it would be smart as a fire department to write a statement after that um, like a debriefing statement about that major incident um, and sometimes even you know a uh, written um, prologue of you know first responders if you're like wow I think this is going to this potentially I could get called to court for, for helping this patient. 
then it can really actually help um, because you you just don't remember four years later of what happened and, and mm-hmm. you, you're going to go off clinical notes or statements that are written at the time. It's kind of interesting when you get into all of this because you kind of think, well, that's not what it's about. But when you end up being on a big case, that is exactly what it's about. Um, yeah. and, it, and it goes down to PCRs and where was that PCR sent to? And do you still have it stored? And where is it stored? And can you access it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's really gets quite interesting yeah i know with our electronic pcrs it's it's a lot safer now for that continuity of, of record keeping but i remember uh back in the day when uh we just all, all had paper pcrs and very minimal information would usually go on them uh, but i actually had a very seasoned um als member working with me at the coast he was kind of one of my mentors and he always explained to me same thing what you just mentioned nick was any potential large event that you attended to, if you feel like it's going to go somewhere, we do an occurrence report, write it, have a debriefing, everything's documented, and then yeah. scanned and emailed and stored. And sure enough, that's saved my ass a few times when I got called to court. I presented this, and okay, yep, yeah, we don't need you. We've got all the information on your paper, and away you go. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as a quote yeah. from our chief here, like one of the things he always says is, nobody cares until somebody cares. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's a, a major event. Um, I mean, the major events are the ones that will stick with you and, your, you know, your memories uh, generally will stay a bit more true to the story. Uh, however, as time passes and you share your story with somebody else that was there that shares their story, those lines get blurred, right? Mm-hmm. So, back to what Nick was saying there, you know, getting that report and getting those notes down right away and early uh, which is, again, like nobody cares until somebody cares. So to try to look back if it's a major event or what you may not think is a major, as a major event. So now, like I, as, like I try to almost drop some of the memory from my brain as I move forward because there's so much new information coming at me. If you don't have it written down somewhere, it basically doesn't exist. <laughs> so to try to look back and relay that in, information back one year, two, three years later, it's going to be a super big, big challenge. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and I think, and that's where kind of policy process structure behind the scenes, you know, if you're part of a fire department EMS system, that's just smart work. So, you know, your, your chief or your deputy chief or your captain on the shift or however it works, it's just like, okay, we're going to write an occurrence report for this or you actually have a station fire occurrence report. Do you guys call them occurrence, occurrence reports or just incident reports? It's just our, uh, we just call it the fire report. So every, every call we write a report um, at the end of the call. And sometimes yeah. it's like super quick. Like, um, like it'll always have the, the address, um, the name, if we know the name of the person. Um, how many of us were on scene, um, then the timesheets are actually stapled to that. So that way there's a record of who actually was there. Um, and then um, and then it, sometimes it's super light, um, mm-hmm. just really quick point form. Um, I know years ago when I first started uh, the, like I want to say like two or three chiefs ago, he, he, he was not a big fan of writing any more than like a sentence because, <laughs> because of court. <laughs> he says, well, no, then they can't call us to court. I'm like, that's not really the way it works. Yeah. <laughs> so we do actually, we're, we're a little bit more detailed now. I mean, sure. we're not going to write a novel, but um, mm-hmm. kind of hit the key, the wave tops, like the key points. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that's key that happened that we think? Yeah, for sure. And I think 
um, like we get the uh, uh, dispatch sheets back as well. So all the timestamps that we relay back to dispatch from uh, the initial call time to on scene time to, um, you know, let's say it's a a CPR call. um, As soon as you're on the chest, as soon as uh, AED is is, um, applied, um, and from that point forward. Uh, so all of that information, if you relay that through just through the dispatch as well, uh, there's a timestamp. So we have all of that, like Scott says, that gets, uh, you know, applied to the uh, uh, call sheet. Um, Big package, I guess. Yeah, like, yeah. A, like an overall package. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, my, nice. my department, we have uh, very similar. We'll attach it, the report, um, and then our deputy will input everything in the fire pro. Uh, mm-hmm. If we have a um, a larger incident, uh, just that core group of members who are directly involved will end up doing um, like a a uh, uh, post anal- incident analysis kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's a if we need a little bit of a bumper talk debriefing, we can do that as well. But we'll actually get a sheet to write down everything we saw, everything we did, to our best of our knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounds super smart. From from. Uh, Kerpa, like the physician response work that I do, we have a what we call an SII form, so safety information or incident form. So anything can be reported, you know, whether it's a safety concern or um, some kind of incident on scene or just some information, um, then that can all be added. And then that goes to uh, the board and a specific quality um, sort of member and safety officer reviews all of those, and so does the entire board, actually. So everything gets looked at, which is kind of uh, interesting and sometimes scary because you're like, wow, you know, here's all your dirty washing um, gets aired. I I think the biggest uh, change that we've done is the training records that we have to keep. Yeah, because uh, uh, you know, back in the old days, it was like, oh, you train this, and there'd be something written on FirePro, which is uh, like Todd said, that it was, it's basically a computer program that writes down the numbers of what was trained. So minimum, it, yeah. it would have like, oh, we trained ladders, but it wouldn't say what we trained, mm-hmm. right. um, and we wouldn't, you know, so we wouldn't know what we were training, and it could have just been put up a ladder. Um, so now with our training records, it's it's very it's more structured. It's it's like we've, we've done these things that are NFPA, um, it meets these standards, mm-hmm. and then guys get checked off. And then once a year, and actually coming up this year and this month, well, we do a, um, a yearly um, physical, like a yearly check on, on the guy's um, um, practical skills. It's like a competency test. Yeah, like a competency test. We, we have like 10 skills, uh, mm-hmm. 10, sorry, 10 stations with a number of skills at each station, but they're kind of, um, it's yeah, it's a competency test to make sure they're kind of up to snuff on their basic mm-hmm. firefighting skills. Yeah, it's definitely very um, entry-level skills, uh, but it's something that every member should should be able to demonstrate without any instruction at any given time uh, out on the fire ground mm-hmm. um, or on, on base at any call. Yeah. yeah, that sounds super good. So I think, I think the challenge is you, under like high-stress situations, you kind of fall back to your level of training. Right. Um, like you, you, you can't sort of in, you know, when it's super pressurized situation, you can't sort of really even think more than back to your training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that training has to be ingrained over 
months and years because the stuff that you just learn like three months ago you'll find in a in a sort of i call it getting red zoned where you're really in a very very stressful situation you can actually quite easily forget and you revert back to what you did you know six six months or a year prior with this new knowledge so that's where i think the training and repetitive training and having it documented is is so important right yeah i think um you know now that you're, you're talking about that like maybe that's something with the fr skills we should be looking at more to do uh yeah. and like we always do fr training yeah training yeah, yeah. like it tied into practice nights I but maybe, maybe steer it a little bit more to the key like the major um uh, interventions that you could be doing, right? I, I guess that kind of takes us to your online RTAC. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. um, actually, gonna, can you explain it? And then I think maybe my question will be answered. Yeah, so we we used to do the RTAC course, which is like a three-day course. And then COVID came and threw a big hand grenade at it. And uh, during that two years, I essentially came up with um, with the attack group an idea of putting it online into modules. So, in fact, RDCK Fire are going through the RTAC core content uh, with a few additional things, and we've kind of labelled it the Integrated Fire Medical Training Program, which is essentially RTAC core content with some specialist modules. But essentially, it's a two-year training for firefighters to go through medical training and there's basically 10 uh, 10 modules in the first month uh, and 10 modules uh, which are being completed like I think there's only three or four more to complete Uh, and then they will have gone through 20 modules over a two-year period um, and then that will just repeat uh, and recycle over again Um, and within within those modules are CPR and basic life support skills every um, every year and it goes through massive hemorrhage airway respiration and so on a particular month you're going to know okay this is our massive hemorrhage month this is all the information that needs to be reviewed and this is actually what you're going to cover in training and it's going to be all the practical skills so you know application of a tourniquet and wound packing and hemorrhage control and so you'd know on your first responder night, oh, yeah, we're, we're going and we should have looked at this over the past month and we're going to be doing massive hemorrhage critical skills. And everyone signed off on that. And then at the end of the two years, it's like, OK, uh, Jimmy, the firefighter, did massive hemorrhage uh, module. We can see when he logged in. We can see when he finished it. He answered some questions, which are pretty basic, um, and then went to training and did the training. Um, and then you have sort of two two spare months where you can either catch up on modules that you've missed or do some other training. But that's that's what we've been rolling out with RDCK Fire. Um, so it's it's called the Integrated Fire Medical Training Program, but it's essentially the RDC uh, sorry the um, the RTAC core content with some specialist modules added and and that can obviously be tracked so if chief wants to say hey I want to see all of what everyone's done uh, then we can bring it up and track and show what training they went through so that's just kind of what we've been doing in the background so that's ongoing so like if you pass the course once it um, it just doesn't say you pass the course once it'll it'll keep tracking what you've done 
yeah i think at the end of the two-year cycle we've just um i don't think this is a top secret we just submitted it to emla licensing uh and we just have to send them one bit of information and then that will be approved for 16 credit hours so um at the end of that two-year course of, of basically sort of 10 20 modules um firefighters will be able to apply for or they'll get certificated for doing the RTAC or content online and get 16 hours of credits, which is maybe not that, um, it's kind of useful for CPD, uh, for first responders. But if you're happen to be also a paramedic or you're working for BCEHS, then you've just gone and got 16 of your credits over, you know, a two year period. So it's kind of like a, a double whammy. Um, cause we, we have quite a, um, not an insignificant percentage of firefighters who are also paramedics within the RDCK cause it's such a big area and, you know, fire and paramedics, um, work together and in small communities, we all help out each other. We don't fight each other. So, yeah, yeah. um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, paramedics who are signed up at local fire departments, vice versa. And I guess for those uh, that aren't from BC, um, um, what we're referring to by credits is uh, when you have your license through um, through our medical board, um, certain licenses, um, whether it's entry-level paramedic to uh, advanced care paramedic, um, you need a certain number of credits to keep your license. And uh, there's a, a list online of credits you can use towards your license. Yeah. And so like, I, I know I have 20 to do because I'm EMR, but you have more, I think, right? No, it's still the same. Oh, it's still 20? It's, it's uh, 20 credits across the board. <laughs> Um, depending on how you get them, uh, like Nick said, you can use uh, his course to get 16 of them right. and vice versa. Um, and then we have uh, 20 patient contacts is the bare minimum as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just a different system here in BC, but sure. So Nick, on, on the RTAC course online, I mean, I wasn't lucky enough to join the guys when they came up and took the course pre-COVID uh, in person with you. Um, those final day like the final day the sims were like they still chat about them um <laughs> how how like awesome was like like what was the last one are we getting or something are we getting, yeah. right <laughs> and we've kind yeah. of modeled actually some of our scenarios off of a bit of that as well um so that that in-person um feel uh getting everybody together is is there is there thought um <coughs> so once people take this online training is there any in-person um, aspect to it uh, to kind of follow up now that we're, I mean, now we're coming into fall, we'll see what happens, but um, this heading towards a, a post-COVID or a, a living with COVID um, environment that, that we're in now? Yeah, the, the the way the course is kind of structured is as a hybrid course. So mm -hmm. people are like, yeah, you know, I really want to do the, all the scenarios. What, what we did before was like a three-day course and we would teach all of the core content on the course and have the critical skills. And then we would have um, scenarios kind of um, slotted in the different in the different time zones. Right. So what we've actually done is with the RTAC core content, it's it actually is 16 hours. That's exactly how much it is, right. which is two days of lectures. And then, and then we can offer a one day 
um, RTAC to get certificated in, in RTAC overall. Uh, and that would be just a full day of like just major scenarios back after back after back with all the instructors and the actors. Um, so that's, it, it's, it's just a different way of delivering it and sure. probably an easier way for North America because, I mean, British Columbia is like, eight times the size of the UK and that's just our province sure. let alone Alberta and you know it, it just North America is massive so how do you sort of do these big three-day courses and um, and it may be that we can sort of get little satellite training centers where you know we train up people to run people through scenarios and actually we can deliver the RTAG now much more effectively and, and put people through their paces. Yeah, I mean, I think that's genius. Um, just like you're saying there, we, like our, our province is so vast and spread out. Um, like how, how do you get that, um, that, that level of training? How do you get that reach? I think it's awesome for, for us when we can travel up to the Kootenays and come and see you. Um, but not everybody can travel. So taking that, to an online presence and getting that information out to the masses um, just gets that that reach you know all over the province and then beyond um it's it's an awesome step thanks mm -hmm. thanks and you guys do a great job i was thinking the other day when i missed the 200 episode uh, i don't know whether all your parents are alive but i was like their mums must be proud of them 200 <laughs> episodes good on them I don't think my mom knows what a podcast is. So, <laughs> to this day, <laughs> she's like, "What now?" <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah. like I think we we need community, don't we? Like as a group of um, emergency providers, and I think sometimes we kind of we kind of miss out on community. And I, I think um, you know, I actually really enjoyed uh, Zoom. I know it's not like the same as being in person with your colleagues, but actually mm -hmm. Zoom opened up now the ability to talk to people internationally on conferences or webinars. Um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, being so rural and being in British Columbia, that's so massive, it really is like we're stuck in the middle of nowhere. Um, right. And I, I, I know that sort of may, may sound a bit strange, but it is quite difficult to find like-minded people um, who are just pumped by education and sirens and trucks and emergency vehicles. Um, and we're, we're very spread out across the province offering our services in small communities. But, um, you know, things like your podcast and courses and online webinars and maybe online training tools can, can really be used to kind of build community i'm not saying fake community you know like we all want to be behind our computer screens but um you know actually contacting real people behind the computer screens where it's just otherwise it would be impossible yeah yeah for sure i think the big thing there is it's bridging a gap um that you know kind of pre pre-covid we we all had the the zooms and and, and that kind of stuff available to us, but it, it definitely kind of in, enhanced 
uh, how we how we we used that sort of function and how we communicated with with people um, and it is bridging that that gap where you can't get out in front of people um, and it it definitely changes the way that we we think about how how we can get that kind of uh, information out um, and like like you say you 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 can have an international conversation with somebody um, you know and you, you don't have to fly out there you can you know, be face to face and still get that that sort of one-on-one or one-on-some environment um, it's definitely I'd, I'd say a it's not a new way but it's being utilized still even now that we we can meet you know again uh, it's still going to be utilized um, I think kind of forever um, yeah. kind of the way things are going now which is great I mean nothing takes takes place of uh, you know face 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 to face um, but the way the, the easy use and the way that we we can utilize it, um, it it definitely provides a service and does bridge that sort of gap yeah and, and I think you know like discussions like you guys have on your podcast it it really can translate to life saved on the streets and a real difference made in the lives of you know people who go and actually respond to those calls and i you know i was i was thinking one of my buddies matt who's um one of the rtac instructors i went on a fairly big call a number of months ago and i was just I happened to bump into him in town and just say, hey, Matt, you know, I'm a, I feel just a bit rocked after this particular call. And he's like, yeah, you know, this is this is normal. Like most people don't have to deal with difficult calls. Uh, and this is a normal process. And even just a little conversation, uh, you know, with with one of my people, so to speak, um, just kind of took a whole weight off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of. You know these kind of interactions like on a podcast where you just hear people being real or um courses or whatever it is can actually make a huge difference not only to patients but also to individual responders yeah i think uh, one of the stories that came from out of um not when was that a couple last year there was an alberta firefighter yeah, back, yeah. who uh who contacted us because he had heard us I think it was either after the RTAC or, or one of the um, one of the episodes we did. Um, we talked about um, when a patient is impinged in a MVI and um, the potential of having to put a tourniquet on them before you um, before we extricate them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had talked about it on the podcast, and then he messaged us um, that they were actually at an MVI, and the paramedics um, were going to allow them on. Um, extricate and, and he had I think it was him or, or somebody else mm-hmm. they had brought up the fact that um, that they should be tourniqueting that person because they'd been pinned for so long so that was really cool that that and he directly related it from what he heard on from us right yeah wow yeah and you know some of the some of the training that I've been on um, has still impacted calls even like five eight ten years beyond that original training and just sort of uh, just having your mind kind of put through something that you think that you've never actually come across in real life. But then when you actually do come across it in real life, you're like, actually, I remember doing this and it was stressful, but now this is the time to use it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing with the zoom and, and I think with the online RTAC course that you guys are, 
<clears throat> going to be putting out that, that reach to so many more people. Like I said, it gets that same like-minded individuals that, you know, crave that type, type of training and then are able to put that into a hands-on approach. Because I know us, like we do a lot more, we call them the high fidelity sims. So when we train, it's, you know, we'll try and bring in um, actors or, or and play these roles as realistic as we can be and move with real time. Uh, so you don't get complacent in your training as well. Make it as realistic and as fun as possible. Um, and that ties into a lot of the Stop the Bleed training that um, Scott and I do as well. Uh, we try and make it as realistic as possible and think outside the box. Yeah, we actually did a yeah. couple of weeks ago. We were with um, some that are local youth ambassadors who are like, how old are they, 15? Well, I guess they're, mm-hmm. um, they're about 14 to 15 years, years old. There was uh, 13 of them. Yeah. So Todd and I went up and taught them... Um, Taught them stop the bleed for about like we were a shortened version of stop the bleed, and then we actually tied that in because we were inside a, a elementary school with them. Um, we actually tied it into uh, dealing with an active shooter mm-hmm. um, because it was right. It was probably a month after the Uvalde school shooting, mm-hmm. so we tied it all in and we actually taught them some of the run hide fight um, stuff from my line of work. Um, so it, it, we tied it all together, and um, a few of them actually had to leave the room, <laughs> uh, which was interesting. Um, just because to us, uh, we see this all the time. We're always thinking about this, but we don't. Mm-hmm. I guess sometimes we forget that when you're 14 or 15, you're not prepared for that kind of reality. <laughs> yeah, even with the fake, like we had some yeah. fake wound packers and some uh, fake blood and stuff with uh, quick clot and just food coloring that works great. Yeah, sure. And uh, yeah, it was that was too realistic for a couple. Yeah. Of mm-hmm. But you know, a big thing with that, and after we we had a chat about that. Um, after you guys put on that 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 shortened course, um, I got to thinking even a, even with the couple individuals that did have to remove themselves from the course, uh, I mean clearly they, they they either you know hadn't been thinking about it much prior to that, or it was just something that they weren't super com- comfortable with. It hopefully even that that little bit got their minds thinking forward uh, that hey this is a reality. These are things that I have to think about. You know, they may ne- they they may never think think about it again, but there's a chance that they they might also take that that instance like, hey, I didn't you know I didn't uh, react well to this. My other friends stayed and finished it. Um, this is something that I could be or should should be thinking more about in in the future. So hopefully, even just that that little bit of exposure still um, expanded their their mind some to uh, either look look into courses in the future. Um, or you know, seek out some some sort of extra training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think you're right because you know some people don't don't ever think about these things and don't think about the emergencies. And you know, I I remember reading this thing about people instinctively go out of the exit uh, that the the door that they came through, so they will run for the exit. But people who have kind of been thought thought about. Um, kind of major incidents and um, extreme dangerous situations will often choose a different exit because they know everyone's going to be running for the same exit or that they they came through. So, you know, some of the big uh, shootings or nightclub fires uh, where people have survived, it's because they've gone out, uh, not the way they came in. And you know, if 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 you if you don't even hear that realization, you would just instinctively panic and run back the same way you just come in. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that like that comment separates a vast majority of people. The average person, like you say, walks in. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's a school that they've walked into a thousand times, if it's a business or whatever that they're walking into for the first time, um, I would say the quote average person walks in and does their business. Um, the fewer variety, uh, which I think we all are, are probably scanning the room and you're picking apart <laughs> those alternate exits and whatever it is. Like yeah. it, it doesn't matter how mundane the task is. You're always kind of scanning the premises of like what what does this building, what does this you know box that I am now in look like, and that's yeah. I think that comes from our line of training and just the mental state that we're all in now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's super crazy. I was walking, I was um, I had the I have lots of kids, so my wife was actually taking our eldest kid off to university the next one down was working in starbucks so i had the four smaller ones and we we're walking in the shopping mall i was like uh if there's some kind of incident we're going to run into that shop and we're going to go to the back of the shop yeah. uh, and just hope that we can get out and it's kind of crazy the way your mind works but i think this is you know we're kind of being programmed a little bit as first responders to see the world in a slightly different light and hopefully sure. as we get older and eventually retire will soften and not think about those kind of things but definitely um we are we are wired a bit differently yeah i i know what sometimes when i'm sitting in the movie theater we, with waiting for the movie to start with my uh one of my sons um i'll sit and i'll say hey where's it where's the best exit to go out right now if, if this was to happen or if that was to happen we don't we don't sit and watch the previews we well sorry watch the previews but the the whole like they play those games now and stuff on uh, mm -hmm. the, the big movie theaters yeah so we we talk about exits and strategies and stuff instead sure and I'm probably probably scarring them yeah I think I think it's yeah we're definitely programmed slightly different but um, those kind of things actually save lives in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I know my wife always gives me a hard time because when we're sitting going to uh, whatever, if it's a concert or if it's a, a restaurant, you know, I'll say, "Oh, how about that table over there?" <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll pick a back table, the wall, the back of the wall, <laughs> my back, so I'm looking at the entrance way, so I can go out another way. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll be safe. I have to sit with my back to the to the entrance so that I'm just looking at my wife. Otherwise, like. Um, I think she'd probably get upset that I'm always scanning yeah, around. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I guess a little bit more on your um, online course. So um, we've had a chance, some of us, to uh, take a look at it. Um, I think that one of the cool things, I, I like the, there's a bunch of things I like about it. Um, one is you can just do it when you want. Um, so like I said earlier, um, if I have a slow morning at work, I'll, I'll just start it up and do a couple things on on it because it's related to my work a little bit so um i can kind of justify yeah, it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um also it gives me ideas for for things to do in the fire service and um and, it, and it's just a good skill uh it's a good refresher because like i said a few times i've come after i've reviewed one of the uh, modules and then we we've had a call later that day and i, I usually say to one of the captains or i say oh yeah there's you know um um, I just reminders like basic reminders of like um, questions to ask when before putting someone on oxygen like do they have COPD things like that things I know but you just need the reminder once a little nudge um, 
I think the other cool thing is the fact that, you, that your face is at the bottom of the screen talking. Because <laughs> it's like a lot of those bit, the, the, a lot of those online courses, it's like you, you read through them and you're like, skip, 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 because you're trying to like get through them fast and you don't really, there's no buy-in because there's no one there actually like, there's usually some cheesy video in there, but with you actually down talking, it's like, oh, it's almost like you're like the... The, the instructor that's standing there watching me. <laughs> so I feel bad if I want to skip it. Will you be quiet? I know you mentioned the other one that you really like is the uh, the shop talk. Yeah, the shop talk. That's pretty unique um, from what I've seen in any other course I think I've done. So um, with shop talk, so you have uh, yourself, um, you kind of alluded to your crew, um, Mercedes, who's an if I remember correctly, she's a nurse and a firefighter. Yep, that's correct. Yeah. And then Jason, who's uh, who's like some ninja nurse, <laughs> flight nurse, yeah. some ninja flight nurse. <laughs> yeah. And then Matt, who's nicknamed, uh, what's nicknamed that? the ghost, I think. The ghost. I think that's I think, what yeah. you guys yeah, called that's him. What we call yeah. Him. <laughs> um, and then Matt, who's uh, who you already alluded to, he's an officer um, with one of the police forces out there. Um, so. Yeah. Kind of, can you explain where the shop talk thing kind of came from and I guess what it is yeah so, so we just kind of take a subject it's not on every single module but it definitely on the, the, the main modules and we just kind of talk about okay massive hemorrhage what's your experience of massive hemorrhage um, you know I, I was even thinking just before um, just before we kind of had this call like gosh how how bad things are happening in Saskatchewan right now with right, right. so many people being tragically stabbed and um, and so many people lost their lives and you know the, just again sort of thinking uh, major incidents and stabbings and things like that you know we, we would talk about well yeah we carry our tourniquets in our front pocket like they're not in bags they're, they're on our person and to have dressings on you and the ability to have multiple dressings because I think for any of us who have actually been to um, you know more than one stab victim or multiple stab wounds on a patient very very quickly you run out of dressings um, and to have sort of access to multiple dressings um, or at least um, know how many dressings you're carrying those kind of things are important so that's kind of what we talk about in shop talk it's it's more lessons learned from the field that kind of apply um, so you know Matt's carrying his tourniquet on him I've got mine in my front, front pocket except I think on, on the one I'm talking about massive hemorrhage this was like the onset of COVID so at that point I was responding in a Tyvek suit which was just a nightmare for like getting anything out of any pockets because you couldn't so had to change my kit and put it into a readily accessible bag so mm -hmm. just kind of conversations like that more uh rubber hits the road conversation about how how we personally manage things like massive hemorrhage and lessons we've learned from um you know some cases that we've been on yeah i, I think that's huge like when when you're learning and not even just learning just in general like a general shop talk amongst uh firefighters and medics like you know like we always i've always carried um in our uh, trauma kits is uh, multiple little kits inside 
mm-hmm. a lot more mod- modulized, and that worked really well for my partner and I at the time. Whereas at the time, the service, we just had these big boxes with kind of everything in it. Um, now, of course, we have different, everything's more modulized, but even uh, when, like, Ash, Scott, and I really, t- we did a lot of conversations when you guys were starting your mm-hmm. FR program, and we talked about, this is what I've seen in the past, this is what works, this is what doesn't work, um, and then you kind of build your, your kit that way. And same with us, when COVID hit, you know, everything started getting pulled out of the kits, and our vitals were in a separate monitoring uh, bag that you could clean and you're not necessarily taking everything into the hot zone if you will yeah, um, <clears throat> so it, it does get quite challenging sometimes on how you how you carry things and then I don't know how many even just ambulance jump kits I've opened up and there's one tourniquet in it you yeah I still like, seeing that yeah yeah. yeah so I always bolster all my kits and ambulances up with yeah with more Multiple, devices right yeah. but uh, yeah it's it's important to have that shop talk to talk about, hey, this is the stuff we've seen in the past, and and this is how it's kind of caught us with our pants down a little bit, and how yeah. we've reacted to it, so it doesn't happen again. Yeah, for sure. I think that's that's key. All of the info in the world is uh, is not useless, but it's hard to take learned information, learned skill set if you can't if you can't apply it to something that happened like in in the real world. So that's kind of what we do here. Yeah, I guess we, yeah, we, we are like our <laughs> podcast is like a bumper talk or a shop shop mm-hmm. talk. That's the entire purpose of this is right. like we de- debrief what 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 happened in our you know in our lives over the past week or whatever it, it might be. Um, in or even hopes, just or or even just thoughts. Yeah. yeah, like like whether it was an event, <laughs> an event somewhere else in the world that, that, you know, got us thinking. It just gets our sort of creative juices flowing, gets us thinking, throwing ideas back back and forth, which mm. might trigger a couple other people to get their thoughts going and a little away from, like, the norms that they would be uh, thinking about, right? So if, if you can take some of that um, skill set learned, throw it into a shop talk, throw it into a podcast, whatever it is, and that hey, like this is what worked for us because of X, Y, Z reason, um, it gives that a buy-in. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and, you know, like I, I call it kind of mining gold. Um, you know, like you pick up a book, whatever the book is, there's usually some little uh, nugget of gold that you can mine from it um, for life or for practice or whatever it is. And, you know, the stuff that does really well and keeps people... Um, engaged is multiple nuggets all the time of and for me it's often listening to people who have like gone through particular incidents or um, you know like how do you keep all your kit um, like on a like um, track all your expiries of all your kit and you know like I'm, I'm not plugging an app I haven't made the app but like for Kerpa we use expire 365 it's a little app it costs five bucks I don't know who the like the the guy I think I emailed him once because I had a like uh, a thing was setting up but like all of my truck kit is an expire 365 so uh, like I, I know what kit's expiring. It's a bit of like, it's a bit of a pain to put it in there, but I've got an app on my phone. Um, and it's like, wow, I wish, I wish someone had told me that I could use this and uh, what other, what are other people using? You know, like, um, 
I, I just sort of throwing that out there. I've got no plug with Expire 365 just in case people are like, oh, why don't you something pull that one out of the air? But <laughs> it's stuff like that that um, I think are little gold nuggets um, of, of just stuff that you kind of learn and you pick up and you find find a way of doing it and um, and then realize actually, or maybe no one actually keeps an expired list or maybe you do and it's on a spreadsheet or um, maybe it's on a different program. Like those kind of things are, are super, super important um, just for the basic running of like EMS period. Right. Yeah, I think like uh, recently we had a we had an auto extrication course and um, it was taught by some uh, some of the guys at Kamloops who um, they work on um, they work on the Kokal on the heavy rescue. So they're going to multiple MVIs a day. So, you know, when they come, um, they taught us skills, but they're, you know, they were, they were like bread and butter skills. Yep. But some of the little t tips and tricks, that's really where the, um, like you said, the money, the gold comes from. Like just even they have a pouch they wear on their on their hip, the, the captain or whoever. Um, it's called their tool belt of destiny. <laughs> and it's literally like, a, it's a pouch with, you know, it's got like wire cutters, um, little screwdriver, um, just a bunch of stuff that you often need, but it's in a toolbox somewhere on the truck. So the guy who just has it on his hip and as the guys um, call out stuff they need, he just hands them the tool and then he gets it back right away. Just even a trick like that, we, we ended up building one and it's super handy. We, we actually used it the other day yep. um, on one of our calls we just had. And uh, one guy that's literally had it on his belt, or well, actually I think it fell off at one point, but, yep. but he had it basically in his hand the whole time. Mm -hmm. It was just... His job was just to give the tools and uh, to make sure they came back. Yep. Um, it's a super easy trick, but um, something we hadn't thought of because we just carried around a toolbox with us. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I think that's kind of like the, you know, what I was kind of alluding to about the kind of the community of education where you can kind of speak with like-minded people and spin ideas and, and, and like mine these nuggets of things that you can, you know, find, um, usually from people who have been uh, gone through multiple calls or worked in different areas. It, it, it can be really fascinating to listen to these people kind of talk about um, their subject. And I, I think, you know, the other thing is there's so much information overload to, to be able to find concise sound bites of it or like, um, uh, like I listened to, like Audible, it's, and again, I'm not getting paid by Audible to like talk about it. But for, for me, Audible has been a huge thing that's changed like a lot of the way I approach life and um, family and how I sort of run Kerpa as a, as a charity with just ideas and stuff like that. Um, and, and it's kind of like mining books for information, but you can put that on twice the speed and speed through it. I think with, um, with the RTAC core content, you can speed me up to times two or Matt to times two and, <laughs> and like go fairly quickly through the lectures, but being able to get high yield content quickly, I think is also a really important piece for, you know, 21st century with how much information we have too. So when are you uh, starting a podcast? <laughs> no, you guys are doing it. Just, I'm, I'm just happy to come on and chat. You need the RTAC, uh Shop Talk podcast. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just come on your show. We can chat. Sure. <laughs> oh man, yeah. If you get if you get us 
Nick, Mercedes, and Jason and Matt all talking about past experiences. We're going to have to have a double R rating and viewer discretion. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I think we're almost in an hour, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add about your uh, or about anything? I, I guess the question is, uh, when are you pl- your RTAC is it, it's live right now? Is that right? You're online. Yeah, yeah, it it is live. I'm hearing all these sirens, but I think it's fire. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it it is live. Uh, we we're not sort of heavily kind of marketing it at the moment. Um, obviously, RDCK Fire are doing it, but. Like if people if people are interested and they're like, hey, you know, um, I might be quite interested in doing that, then um, please like find the attack group ca uh, and just shoot us an email and we can always kind of give you a tester and you can see what it's like and and go from there. Um, but it it is it's on Thinkific, which is the platform that we use, uh, and the course is there ready to go for people who want to do it. It's just you you got to find people who who are motivated and want to do it. Otherwise you're just paying for a course of wasting your money, which is not what I want people to do. I want people who, who want to take it and, um, and, and hopefully it helps them with like the, the, the whole point of it is about saving lives and translating some of the, some of the information that has been gleaned from years of experience from from a guy called Mark Forrest and his team in the UK. And I have to, I have to admit like although I work for the attack group, um, like their course, uh, the attack course, I think is, is probably the best pre-hospital course like in the world. I'm not just saying that cause you know, um, I'm part of the, of, of the company. Um, but their course really is like one of the best in the world. And I, I can honestly say when I went there, um, like I, I, I learned so much about pre-hospital from them that I would actually fly back from Canada to, to go on the course. This was prior to me ever getting involved with them. Um, and I said, look, you need to come over to Canada and share some of these skills. And, and they actually came over. This is long before Attack Canada ever started. And they came over and, you know, ran, ran a conference and, um, and, and that's how sort of Attack Canada started and the RTAC and, and, like the we, we we used to do the EMS conference, uh, the EMS summit conference every couple of years. But COVID came and dropped another hand grenade on that. But we we may we may start it back up in 2023 and maybe get you guys to come along and live podcast it. And yeah, who knows? Like yeah, 2023 is not that far away. But um, yeah, who knows? That'd be really awesome if uh, <clears throat> yeah, we'd like love to see more. Um more attack group or an RTAC, I think in, in BC. Um, because I know like my takeaway when I went to the, or when we went to the attack group conference and then to RTAC with you afterwards, um, you know, it just keeps it, it gets you fired up and there's so much to learn always. And sure so many takeaways and just the passion that you guys have on that pre-hospital care and thinking outside the box and, thinking, well, what's going to work in our communities to make the response better, right? Like that's, that's huge. And like you said, it's that, it's that community. Because in, in large city centers, things flow generally pretty well because there's resources everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. in our smaller areas, it gets quite challenging. So to have, you know, these core skills really built into you and um, those high fidelity sims 
that were all through the RTAC course. It was really exciting. It was, it was one of the best courses I've, I've gone on. I've gone on a lot of courses through my career, and I really enjoyed it. I'd love to see more. Yeah. You know, I mean, you guys absolutely rocked the Armageddon, the Armageddon scenario, and I still remember that because I still remember you got the tops out and we put the reds on the reds and the, the greens on the greens, and, and it, it just went like clockwork. It was yeah. quite amazing to see. Um, but, but yeah, you know, like uh, we get inspired by also meeting everyone else and learning from them, you know, like you're, ne- you're never too, um, you're never too, uh, young and never too old to learn, learn new things. And I think, you know, you, you guys are educators, like you wouldn't be doing a podcast on a you know Monday holiday weekend if you didn't care about the emergency services care about helping firefighters and their families like and and about education that's we're we're like-minded people yeah absolutely well thank you for that and yeah it was we were really pumped in in meeting you and seeing how open you guys were to again just adding on that passing on that knowledge yeah Mm -hmm. yeah back back at you boys i think you guys rock yeah i appreciate it uh, can you just see, uh, so ATAC, is, it's not attack. it's like, uh, you, can you spell it, uh, spell it so for people to find the website? Yeah, it's um, A-T-A-A-C, attack, group, G-R-O-U-P, uh, dot C-A. I really hope I've spelled that right. Um, A-T-A, it might be A-T-A-C-C. This is me, like, I'm, I had to leave my house, I've got no notes, I'm actually sat down by the lake with the... Uh, in the dark in my car because I've got loads of kids and a dog to park. Um, nice. So let me just let me just um. Yeah, I've just pulled it up here, Doctor Nick. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, the uh, ATACC group. CA. Sorry about that. That's, That's right. You know, you know when like someone asks you what their name is and you're like, uh, oh, their name's just gone out of my head. So, so there you go. Like, well, we, call, call me on my toes. We did the same last week talking about it. Well, I didn't ask them just now. I forgot one of your, your cohort's names yeah. there. Yeah. I was like, oh no, what is, what is the website? I should know this. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, anything else from that you'd, you'd like to add? No, I, th- I think if we do get the EMS Summit, like I'm really going to, put the lean on for you guys to come and do like a podcast and get maybe some video going, you know, like it'd be good to see you guys on video and, you know, maybe we drag some of your, how many, how many people do you have that listen to this? Do you know? Um, Ashley, look, I can tell you quickly. (laughs) It's a few, I want to say a few, like we have about 6,000 on our, on our Facebook page. Um, yeah, so I mean, overall, we've got like 241,000 downloads yeah. uh, currently, wow. which is pretty good. Um, I could dive in deeper and see what the average <laughs> episode listing is, but um, it, it does go out to quite a few people, acro- you know, across all plat- platforms, which is, mm-hmm. um, you know, pretty pr- pretty humbling, I think, at this point. Um, yeah, I, which would be... Yeah, I think the good thing is that when it goes out to like... Uh, like a training officer or mm-hmm. or um, or someone that's has some say in the fire department, we hear that like yep. they they want to change their training or something based on mm-hmm. something that we've talked about. Because yep. um, then then we like we're like a force multiplier. So maybe maybe their yeah, crew yeah. doesn't listen to it. Um, because I'm going to tell you right now, most of our crew doesn't listen to us talk. <laughs> they hear us talk on Thursdays enough. They hear us enough yeah. <laughs> so um, 
but maybe maybe they don't know where it's coming from, but they're still getting some of that um, information, that trickle down effect, which is yeah. fine by us. Like we don't we don't care how the information gets out there as long as it gets out yep. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or maybe we could get some kind of discount going for the down to fight fire family out there. Oh, well, there we go. Absolutely, there you go. Yeah. 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 You, you got to have some reward for what you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, thanks, guys, for having me on the show, and uh, yeah, keep going, keep, keep, uh, keep up the community, keep teaching, keep saving lives. You're a good bunch of lads. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Nick Sparrow. Once again, uh, we love having you on. We really appreciate everything you do. Absolutely. Yeah. Back at you guys. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. Nick, for uh, once again coming on. Absolutely. Yeah, that was awesome. It's always good having having a good chat with him. He's um, He's got his fingers in a lot of pots there, and yeah. a very, uh, very intelligent man with all of his um, with the things he does with the Kerpa, with the, the attack group, the Artak. I never actually asked him if he likes being called Doctor Nick. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, right. We've always said Doctor Sparrow. I think his actual <laughs> his actual title, not Doctor Nick. I know. <laughs> Sounds like that guy from The Simpsons. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> that was really good uh nice to uh you know have a chance to you know catch up um you know have a chance to get some more information of the online RTAC course out there mm-hmm. um definitely some huge huge value there there is you know and that's what we talked about with having just that reach uh getting that content out to more people mm-hmm. um is it's uh it was a very in-depth course it was, it was very very fun um yeah. and then I think if they could figure out a way to somehow do some uh, um, like hands-on stuff, yeah, mm-hmm. well, like, yeah, like train some other people up, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of always annoying because like um, only a lot of people only get courses that are credentialed. Like mm-hmm. whether the course is the best course ever, the first question usually is, well, what do we get from it? Mm-hmm. Do we get a uh, we get a, a, a special certificate with a stamp on it, and mm-hmm. you know, the pro boards is a pro board certified, and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, but I, I like the way kind of the direction of the fire service and uh, a little bit medical service, um, but fire service. You know, there's there's all these courses. There's like the guys that you go with, um, uh, training resurrected. Um, people we use. Um, there's the guys down in the states, the um, nozzle forward guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of those aren't certified at all. They're just there's a certificate from us. Yeah. But they've built their reputation now. It's like, sure. okay, it doesn't matter if it's certified through some university or something. Um, it's it's just really good knowledge to have. Knowledge sharing, man. Yeah. That's the big thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But it, it'll be awesome if you can get that um, a credential for your for your license. Because that, yes. that's, that's a, I mean, it's not a big thing, but it's it's a pretty big, uh, it's something that someone can look at and be like, oh, maybe I'll take that course instead of. Absolutely. For for us in BC with the credits for yeah. email licensing, that's <coughs> a lot of people are always looking just for stuff yes. for credits. Um, right. So if you're that individual that's just looking for credits and want a good want a good course, that is definitely one we recommend. Yeah, sure. Um, and if you don't care about credits and you want a good course, that's the course we recommend that's as well. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So yeah, hopefully if you're listening, um, those international people out there, like maybe Marshall Bass, check out the ATEC. Um, yeah, that that'd be really interesting. Marshall replied to us. What what was the thing about the wombat? The wombat is like the other thing that destroys vehicles. We talked about. Yeah, oh, yeah, I didn't read that. That's yeah, right. Yeah, the wombat is like the size of a of a of a 
of, like a, of a, a dog, dog. Yeah. but it's built like a tank. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were talking about what, what you crash into, and yeah. kangaroos are one, mm-hmm. definitely, and um, he said there's camels somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> See, again, crazy. Australia, everything yeah, will kill you or start a fight with you. Yeah, <laughs> but the wombat was, was the big one. It rips out your undercarriage or something. <laughs> oh, my God. It's true. Yeah. All right. Uh, All right, uh, so... Uh, yeah, so they attack again. So uh, www.ataccgroup.ca mm-hmm. yeah. or .com. And then in there, I believe there's something about the RTAC online. Yeah, then there's there's many links. I was on the website earlier. Yeah, uh, links to uh, RTAC and a bunch of other stuff. Like Dr. Nick Swero said, <laughs> um, go to go on that that to the ATAC group and then send them a message and we'll send you information. Yeah, he might even like he said he, he may even just. If you're like a training officer or someone that's interested in doing the course, maybe he might just hook you up mm-hmm. for a uh, for kind of a, a free challenge or like a free session yeah. to, to go on. And mm-hmm. like he's kind of done with us, so we, we you know we're we're plugging away at it. Um, and just it's a good reminder, a good refresher. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't have any medical skills, it's it's good. <laughs> it's yeah. a good base. Yeah. yeah. Any more for anymore? I don't think so. No. Yes, oh, we got to do the old. There oh. we go. Shout <laughs> outs. Yeah. Right, shout outs. Shout outs. Ash, bonus. <laughs> bonus. Uh, yeah, so firefighter uh, tools and equipment uh, based out of Canada, which is a, a cool thing. Um, big claim in the fame is their Snyder tool, uh, but they've added so many extra uh, pieces of uh, equipment, uh, both personalized and for the truck. Uh, so check them out on their socials. Check uh, our socials out for uh, some of our uh, product reviews and such. And if you like what you see from them, use discount code DTFF5 and you'll get you 5% off of your order. Talk about the bleed. Uh, stop the bleed, yeah. Carry a good tourniquet with you. <clears throat> Make sure it is out of the wrapper. Um, three methods of uh, major hemorrhage control is uh, direct pressure, uh, wound packing, and tourniquet application. Um, yeah, so we always talk about uh, having a, good, a high quality tourniquet and then also um, the proper gauze. Um, if you can get a hemostatic agent gauze, even better. Um, but just have lots of gauze with you because if you are packing wounds, you need a lot of it usually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So go online to um, stopthebleed.org or check out our um, information as well on the YouTube and stuff. We've done some course content on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're slowly adding to that. They're adding the um, they're adding chest seals in some regions and mm-hmm. um, blankets. Right. Yeah. The importance of heat. Stop loss. the bleed. Stop the heat. Yeah. Yeah. Stop the heat loss. Yeah. Stop the heat loss. Yeah. Stop the heat loss. Yeah. Keep the heat in. Stop the bleed. Keep the heat. If you continue the bleed, you will eventually stop the heat. <laughs> What's the uh, lifespan on a chest seal? On a chest seal? Yeah. Like in this package. I don't know. We, were sh- we, had, one, we had one this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't use it for anything. Other than that's, what, that's what I'm alluding to. <laughs> oh, we was at a target practice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were out hunting and uh, we needed to use a, uh, we needed to zero one of the rifles in for one of the youth that we were with. And yeah. It's like, Todd's like, do you got any, uh, anything that's round? I'm like, I'm looking at my truck. I got a chest seal. <laughs> it was actually training, a training chest seal yeah. they had given me. So it's like, well, I mean, it's not like we're using it for chest seals. So, no, and there was a pack of them. So yeah. So chest seals, you can use them as target targets. That's right. <laughs> expired ones. Once, <laughs> once they expire. Well, actually, one thing we are talking about, or when, uh, when we are talking about mm. um, gear placement, um, I was going to tell them that, you know, I, I, I used to carry my chest seal in my body armor, um, but then I started thinking, okay, if I get shot in my body armor, 
<laughs> the chest seal is going to go, the, the bullet's going to through my chest seal. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to put it on my chest. And <laughs> well, that's not going to be helpful. No. <laughs> so I've since moved it out of my uh, leg pouch. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, know where your gear is and when you might use it. <laughs> Smart. Um, tenor. Yeah, tenor also band. Uh, uh, West Coast Canada country music band. Uh, they're out touring like crazy right now. Lots of live shows. Um, I think they got some new some new music coming out as well. Yeah. Uh, so check on uh that with on all of the uh streaming platforms that you listen to music on. Uh, tenor also band. Nice. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the attack group. Yeah, so we may as well shout out once again. Um, so uh, the attack, uh, attack group. So that's the uh, anesthesia, trauma, and critical care. Uh, go online, check them out. Um, there's a few courses under that. There's that one. There's the nurse trauma, critical care, uh, rescue trauma, and casualty care. So the RTAC course that we were discussing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then a couple other breakdowns as well. They offer a, a basic trauma, casualty care, uh, first aid trauma, casualty care, um yeah so lots of information on their yeah. website awesome and lastly is us yes mm-hmm. um check us out on the facebook's on instagram still <laughs> tiktok i think we're we're throwing some tiktoks out there yeah um uh, youtube you can the youtube yeah youtube yeah we haven't done any videos in a while we keep saying we're going to mm-hmm. and we are slacking yeah <laughs> we are um we need to do something Will. Yeah, we promise one day there <laughs> shall be videos. Stay tuned. <laughs> Just keep following us. Yeah. <laughs> one day it'll happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Um, now, any more for any more? Now, no more. Thank no you. More. Have a good night. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. Stay. Yeah.